0: Father, we do need you, as we have just sung. We come before you, and our righteousness is only found in Jesus Christ. And we need your indwelling spirit to replicate Jesus' life in us. And we pray right now that you would take your word that, that tells us it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray by your spirit that you would teach us from it, that you would teach me from it, and change us more into the likeness of Christ because of it. We look to you and say, we need you this day. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you to turn in the New Testament to the book of 2 John, clear to the back of your New Testaments, We are in a little series looking at the books of 2nd and 3rd John. Uh, Last week we looked at the first three verses of 2nd John. Today we will look at verses 4 through 6. But I'm going to read all six verses just for continuity's sake. So the book of 2nd John, starting to read verse 1. The elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in truth... And not only I, but also who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father now, I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. We noted last week that... The three epistles, these three letters entitled 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John toward the end of our Bibles were penned by the same human author that, that penned the Gospel of John toward the front of our Bibles, the Apostle John. And while uh, the Gospel of John most likely was maybe written about 85 A.D., these epistles are written in the early 90s, most likely written in close Proximity and time to each other. First John written as a letter that would have been circulated to multiple churches in the area. And then second and third John written as a follow up to that circular letter. Second John most likely was written to a local church. One of those churches that would have received first John. So that when John addresses the letter to the chosen lady and her children, He's talking almost in figurative language, saying, I'm writing this to a local church. Most likely, John, using that address, because this was written during a time when the church was being persecuted by the Roman government, and if this letter would have been intercepted en route to that local church, would not have been easily identifiable and bring further persecution on the recipient of the letter. So John is writing this letter as a follow-up to 1 John. 2 John is the second shortest letter of the New Testament. 3 John, where we're going, is the shortest letter of the New Testament. Here's what's happening. The church is under attack. We know from 1 John that members of these association of churches, these group of churches that were the recipient of the first letter, members of those churches have left. And they are teaching false truth. They are arguing that Jesus Christ is not the God-man. He is not the second person of the Trinity who came to earth and took on humanity. And they're arguing against even having a need for the cross. These false teachers have not only left those churches, but now they are almost like circuit riders. They are going from church to church, attacking those local churches, telling them that they have believed in a lie. Jesus is not who you were told that he is, and there's no need for the cross and the people who are remaining in those churches are hurting. The people to whom John writes here in Second John are hurting. They're being attacked. Their very faith structure is under attack. Not only are they being attacked externally, most likely from governmental persecution, but they are being attacked internally. By these false teachers. And so John writes 2nd John as an encouragement. We saw last week that he wants to encourage them that the gospel is sure. The gospel is what holds us together. The gospel is our bond. And today in verses 4 through 6, because of this false, these false attacks, by those who hold to untruth. John continues to encourage them, and then he's going to charge them, love each other. You see, when the church is under attack, there's two things that we need to do. Hold fast to the gospel, and love each other. And I personally believe that this letter is as appropriate for us today as it was for John's original audience. In my opinion, during my lifetime, we as a church, the church of Jesus Christ, we as Faith Bible Church, will suffer more than we ever have before. We see The climate in the United States moving that way. We need this book. We need this message. It may not come overtly. I think the first things we'll see is attack on us financially. But we, I believe in my lifetime, are going to suffer because of who we are. And John's message is for us. When we Face what these readers are facing, it's important for us to do two things hold fast to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and love each other. Why is that so important? We're going to see next week in verse 7, John writes, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. When we face tough times, when we face attack, we hold on to the message, the central message of our faith. And by loving each other, we grow strong. We grow deep. Several years ago, Barbara and I decided that the landscaping that we had in front of our home had grown unsightly. It just wasn't attractive anymore. It, it did not accentuate the front of our home. It had overgrown, and I thought, let's just pull it all out and start over. So I went out with a spade and a shovel, pulled back the river rock around the shrubbery, pulled back the plastic, dug down a little bit, thinking that these will just pop out. They didn't. I finally had to take my four-wheel drive pickup, hook up to the shrubs, put it in four low, and pull them out, and that wasn't easy. You see, their roots ran deep. They were well-connected. And John's message to us today, the same message that was to this first century church, is that by holding firm to the gospel and holding firm to each other, we will grow deep and strong and not be easily swayed. So here as we come to verses 4 through 6, John has introduced this little letter. He begins the body of the letter, and once again, he begins by encouraging them. He wants to assure them in the gospel. And so he re- he writes in verse 4, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. To see those who claim to be Christians continuing to live according to the truth of the gospel is cause for rejoicing. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week, these key words that John is using here, love and truth. That word truth can be taken very generally. All truth is from God. We could, we could say that this entire book is truth. But in the context of the letters of 1 John, Second John, and 3 John, against the backdrop of the gospel of John, I think John is talking about something more specific here. Remember, these false teachers are attacking the truth of Jesus Christ. They're saying that he isn't the God-man, that he wasn't God who took on humanity. They're saying there really isn't a need for the cross. So when John is talking about truth, he's focusing in on the truth of Jesus Christ. We referred last week to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6 when john recorded for us the words of jesus christ when he said i am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father but through me so when john here says in verse 4 i'm very glad to find some of your children walking in truth he's saying it gives me joy to see that all of you haven't abandoned the gospel all of you haven't rejected who jesus is some of you are still holding firm to the truth of the gospel you are still walking in truth to walk in truth means that it is their lifestyle it is their conduct they're living it out In other words, the message of the gospel has been integrated into their everyday lives. That message that Jesus is God, that God in the depths of his love sent the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, to earth to take on humanity so that he would be able to actually die in our stead, satisfying the righteous wrath of a holy God that we deserved. And and Jesus Christ took on that righteous wrath upon himself, dying in our stead, and then rose again from the grave, proving his claim to be God. And here, John is saying, you believers in this local church have remained in that truth. It has been integrated into your lives. You're walking in it. The gospel is changing you. It has an effect on you that we can see. Eyes And it brings him joy. He says, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now, what's John referring to there? Just as we receive commandment. When do they receive commandment? I think the closest answer to that question is, is found in that first epistle of John remember we're saying that second and third John are written as an addendum as as a follow up to first John and if you look in the verses that we read at the beginning of the service first John chapter 3 verse 23 it says this this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded. You see, that's the same thrust that we see here in Second John. We hold on to the gospel. We believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love each other. And so here, John says, we've received this commandment to hold on to the gospel, to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And it gives me joy to see you doing it. It gives me joy. We live in an era of side-by-sides. You can't open a magazine, look at the Internet, look at a television show without seeing a side-by-side comparison, like a before and after. This is what I looked at before I took the miracle weight loss drug, and now this is what I look like. Or this is what my kitchen looked like three months ago. Now look what it, what it, it, how it appears. It's gorgeous. And we look at those side-by-sides and say, that's impressive. Now those are externals. How much greater is it to see the reality of transformed lives? Side by side. Now, three months doesn't do it. We can't say, here was Pastor Steve three months ago, here's Pastor Steve today. may not look as good as it did three months ago. But when we look at the side by side over a period of time, we can see the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ You see, when we truly put our faith in the person of Jesus Christ, believing that He is God, that He died in my stead and rose again from the dead, when we finally come to that point where I'm not resting on my own abilities to earn merit with God, but I'm solely resting on the cross work of Jesus Christ, at that moment, a myriad of things happen to us. When we put our faith in the person of Jesus Christ, The Spirit of God comes into us and lives in us and starts to transform us, making us more like Jesus Christ. We're clothed with the righteousness of Christ, meaning that at the moment I put my trust in Jesus, as the Father looks at me, he doesn't see me as a Savior. He just sees me as a righteous man or a righteous woman, not by our own merit because of the righteousness of Christ. He transforms how we think. He transforms what's important to us. He transforms our actions and our heart attitudes so that if we look at our life when I first became a Christian and do a side-by-side down the road, even though sometimes that growth is slow, we have promises in God's Word that He allows things into our lives to bring us into conformity with Christ. And sometimes it's hard, but he's transforming us by the power of the gospel through faith in Jesus Christ. And here, John is saying, it gives me joy. What's it look like? What does it look like to have the gospel integrated into our lives? Well, there's all kinds of changes that take place. One that I think is a, a huge change that takes place is when we come more and more to understand what grace is. That that all that I deserve is punishment. I have done nothing to earn any kind of favor with God, my creator. All that I've done is sinned against him. All that I deserve is an eternity separated from him in hell. That's all that I deserve. And yet, he chose to love you. He chose to love me. He chose to love all of humanity and sent his one and only son to take the penalty of sin upon himself. So that... It is available for each and every person to put our trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Not all do. But that is grace. That is grace. That is him giving us a gift that that none of us deserve. And the more we understand how undeserving I am of my salvation, the more gracious we become with the people around us. You see, that's a transformation work. Becoming gracious people. When I'm walking according to the gospel, I stop viewing people according to lists. You know, before I'm a Christian, I can always make myself feel better by finding somebody that's lifestyle's worse than mine. When we become a Christian, we understand that my lifestyle was as unpleasing to God as the worst of sinners, because if I'm guilty of one point of the law, I'm guilty of it all. And I stop trying to compare myself with other people to make myself feel good, because the only person I can compare myself with is a holy God, and when I do that, I don't look very good. And we stop measuring people by our own man-made lists. And realize that my righteousness only comes from Jesus Christ. Bottom line, when truth of the gospel is integrated into life, we start resembling Jesus Christ. So that when people see us, they don't see us, they see Christ in us. It's a lifelong process. And one day, when we're with Jesus Christ, we will be like him. Paul says, this is reason for rejoicing. It's reason for rejoicing, it's 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 an encouragement to us all. It's one of the reasons why it's so important for us to regularly gather together because even unbeknownst to us individually, we are an encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ when they see us walking according to the truth in ways that you could never imagine that you are an encouragement to somebody else. Other people need you. We don't come to church just because of our needs. We gather together as a group of brothers and sisters in Christ because others need us. They need to find encouragement in your life and my life. John says, I rejoice. I rejoice that the gospel is being integrated in your lives, that you're walking in the truth. And now... Out of that joy, I have a request for you. If you look at verse 5, it says, Now I ask you. Now, in the original language, in the Greek text, there's a little word that's translated in English, and. The New American Standard chose not to translate it. If you have an English Standard Version in ESV, I believe the little word and is in the English translation. Literally, These verses should read this way. Verse 4, I was very glad to find some of you children walking in truth, just as we received commandment to do from the Father. And now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. You see, verse 5 is based on verse 4. There's a connection there. John is saying, Since you are holding firm to the gospel, since the truth of Jesus Christ is being integrated into your life, that you're being transformed, now I have a request for you. Love each other. You see, those who are living according to the truth of the gospel should be loving each other. It's the transforming work of the gospel that enables us to love each other. So John says, Now, since you're walking according to the truth of the gospel, now I have this to ask of you. And it's not something new. Notice verse 5 says, Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment. I'm just going to take us through a little trip through some verses in 1 John, just to see what what John is saying there if you look at 1 John chapter 3 for, verse 11 it says for this is the message which you've had which you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another verse 23 this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us chapter 4 verse 7 says beloved Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. John says, This isn't new. You've heard this before. In fact, he goes on in verse 5 and says, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning. And I think what John is referring to is clear back to when we first believed in Jesus, when Jesus was in that upper room, the night in which he was betrayed, teaching his disciples. We can read clear back in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus saying these words, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. John says, this isn't anything new. I'm asking you that we love one another. Now, in the Greek language, that verb translated love here is in the present tense. It means that it has a continual action, a, a durative uh, for the duration. That's why in this second main point, I worded it, those who live according to the truth of the gospel should be loving each other. The autocorrect in Microsoft Word kept trying to correct me and says, no, the better reading is just should love each other. I wanted to bring out that dirt of aspect, should be loving each other. What's the difference? Well, if, if this verse said that we should love each other, that can leave a little place in there for me to say, hey, I can be fulfilling that. I can be loving my brothers and sisters in Christ at Faith Bible Church. Not this one over here, but most everybody. Or... I can fulfill that. I can be. I can love one another. Um, I don't want to for the next week or so because this person really ticked me off. But I can do that. No, that's not what John is saying. He says, "I ask you, Church, not a new commandment, one we've had from the beginning, that we be loving one another. Meaning, there's no time that it's okay not to love." There's no time that it's okay to single out one person not to love or a time not to love them. John here is charging us that we've got to be loving each other. And then he brings it really close to home. Because we could say, well, I wonder what that means. Does it mean that I'm supposed to have like this? good feeling about the people around me, that that I'm supposed to have this warmth in my heart. Well, he spells it out for us in verse 6. Basically, he says, I want to tell you what I mean. Notice verse 6. And this is love. He, He said, this is the definition. And reminiscent of John chapter 15, verses 10, 12, and 14, when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Here, John says, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. Well, that takes all the guesswork out of it. If I'm going to be properly loving my brothers and sisters in Christ, it means that I'm going to be obedient to the commands of Scripture. That gets very practical. Keep your finger in second, John, and turn with me back to the book of Ephesians, to the fourth chapter, just to see how practical this is. For example, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, the Apostle Paul writes, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such as word is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. The Greek word translated unwholesome word there is used in writings outside of the New Testament to refer to rotten fish. That's not pleasant. We've had fish kill in our pond behind our house. It's not pleasant to have dead, rotten fish. Here, Paul's saying, don't use rotten words about your brothers and sisters in Christ, but only words that encourage and lift and build people up. That's pretty practical. How am I supposed to love my brothers and sisters in Christ? I don't use rotten words about them. He goes on in verses thirty one and thirty two of Ephesians four it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you, that means if I'm loving my brother or sister in Christ, I'm going to be willing to forgive them. And if that hurt is really deep, because the person who hurt me was very close to me. And I, and I don't even have a desire to forgive them. That means I go to the Father and I start saying in my prayer life, Father, I don't want to forgive them. Please start giving me a desire to even start the process and then start praying for the person who hurt us. And God will give you forgiveness. So here, John is saying in 2 John, I'm so glad It makes me so happy. I'm rejoicing that some of you haven't abandoned Jesus Christ, that you're staying firm in your commitment to the gospel, that the gospel is being integrated into your life. And now I have this charge for you. Because of that, love each other. We see that same pairing that we see in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So John here says in verse 6, I'm going to spell it out for you. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Now, the original language says, walk in it. If you have a New International Version, it says, walk in love. That's probably what the it is here. It makes the most sense connected with verse 5. It could be a reference back to verse 4, walking in truth. But the close proximity would say, and it makes the most sense in context, that John is saying this, this is love. If we're obeying God's commands to us, we'll be loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is the commandment that we've heard from the beginning, that we should be living it out, meaning we should be living out loving each other. We should be pressing toward each other. Remember the context here? These are hurting people. They're under attack. And the reason why I chose to take us through 2nd and 3rd John is that I believe these are appropriate verses for us today. As we look at what's happening around us in our culture, it's a reminder that we should be doing two things. Holding fast to the message of the gospel and holding fast to each other. If you follow world news and if you follow economic news this last week was interesting about midweek one company's slow downward trend caused panic across the markets walmart announced this week that in 2016 they project to be down in their profits by 12 percent When they announced that, the stock went down 10% in one day. For the year, it's down 30%. And they announced that they are raising their minimum wage for employees to $9, and by February, it'll be $10, and that they are going to spend money on fixing their stores so they're more attractive to people and spend money developing more internet infrastructure so they can compete in that whole world of things. But because of lifting the wages for their employees and infrastructure spending, they're going to be down in profits by 12%. What happened? Everybody ran away. 10% drop in value, in stock market value, stock value in one day. You see, when investors heard the bad news, they ran away. John is saying, when you hear bad news, run toward each other. It's the time that we don't abandon each other, we run toward each other. There's no greater thing that we can do when we face hardship and trial than to do two things, hold firm to the gospel and hold firm to each other. We need each other. And when we do those two things, hold firm to the message of Jesus Christ and hold firm to each other, we are just like a plant that's going deep, rooted and we are grounded and we can withstand greater storms than we ever imagined that we could. John here is encouraging us that we who live according to the truth of the gospel should be loving each other. Father, we thank you for this message of Second John, for the reminder in it That when we face hardship, there are two things that are more important than any other. To hold firm to the truth of the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And to love each other. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.